the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together, and uh, what a weekend. Uh, time flies. I'm out, of course, uh, in the in the swamp, not of the swamp, out in the Washington, D.C. area, and it's a huge snowstorm that blew through. Actually, it's not that huge, but people in Washington, D.C. get panicked over snow, so had a lot of snow on uh, Sunday into Monday, and uh, things shut down, but here we are. Don't worry about that. Here we are, and we are together. All right. Um... Let us talk for a moment. We're going to get to what you need to know, so make sure you can always go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the Daily Wink, what you need to know. Uh, later on this program, we will have, I'm very, I'm excited for this, James Reston Jr. is an author. He wrote a book called The 19th Hijacker. The 19th Hijacker, it's published by Republic Book Publishers, one of my favorite uh, publishers. I got this book about six, maybe, maybe more like twelve weeks ago. Could be, it could be that long ago. And I thought, oh yeah, I got to read this. And and uh, and then they said, no, it's not coming out until uh, uh, February or maybe even March. And so he'll be on later on in the new year. And this is was like maybe November. So finally, it's here. So the nineteenth hijacker, a novel, very cool. And we'll talk with Doctor Brett M. Decker. We have to check in with Decker, Doctor Decker, because he lived in uh, in Asia. He lived in Hong. Hong Kong, I think he was based, but he spent a lot of time in Singapore as well as in other uh, capital cities. He was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Um Asia, we need to get an update on whether it's Myanmar or Burma. Myanmar or Burma, which has had the coup. I'm not sure which. If you listen to Fox News, it's Burma. If you watch Fox News, it's Burma. If you watch CNN, it's Myanmar. Um, and we'll find out why from Dr. Decker. All right. Before we get to that, what you need to know today is the. Um, I this is going to be a long explanation. Maybe the best thing you can do is after you hear it, listen again if I'm not clear enough, or go over and on Periscope, uh, which is Twitter's uh, video feed at Eagle Ed Martin. You can check out what I'm saying here. I did a video on this this morning. Here's what I want to tell you. I got up very early. Because the snow had come and I was getting ready to get worried about ice and the on the on the cars and all that, so I am up early. And when I'm up early and there's no uh, no nothing going on in the house, very quiet. It's a perfect time to do some um, do some reading and catching up on things. So I found myself going down a trail um, that I want to tell you about because I've told you before three years ago. Right now, we had a Super Bowl party. Uh, I think it was three years ago. I got to ask my wife to make sure. It could have been two years ago, but it, I think it was three years ago. We had a Super Bowl party, and the party was, um, yeah, it was three years ago. The party was, uh, uh, you know, about a handful of neighbors over the house, and one of them was a friend of mine who was born and raised and continues to be an Italian resident, Italian citizen. Um, he was born in Italy and then raised there, and he's an Italian resident, Italian citizen, married to an uh, American girl. They have a nice family, and he was saying... He couldn't believe what was happening in America because he was seeing 
what he the term he used to me was everyone is worried about self-censoring self-censorship and he went on to say you know america is this place where there's so much freedom and all he said suddenly you're being asked to self-censor because you just don't want to be dealing with people who are giving you grief over things you care about okay so that's three years ago it was a very formative conversation for me because it was a conversation because you think about when someone says um hey uh, are you for donald trump a few months ago most people wouldn't offer that if they if, if let's say you go out to a dinner party and everybody nobody knows each other yet you don't lead with that you kind of make sure because people got so ramped up over stuff well volik havel who is the late president of the czech republic and he was a playwright um he passed away in the mid-90s before he was president, he wrote a lot, and he was a dissident. He was also a playwright. And um, he wrote a piece called The Power of the Powerless. Uh, the Power of the Powerless. Let me get this right. The Power of the Powerless. Yeah, The Power of the Powerless. And what and what he went on, what he was talking about, he went on this essay, and he said how he was trying to talk about how um, people that are under the thumb of uh, the government, how they can react. But at the beginning of the essay, he talks about how um, people are called upon in um, the country he was living in, in the co- uh, not just the country at the time, because I guess the Czech Republic broke up, but in the uh, underneath the Iron Curtain, underneath the Soviet uh, uh, oppression, he was saying that people were required to put out, for example, on their uh, outside their on their uh, door if they were, ran a grocery store, a sign that said "Power to the People." Uh, now, excuse me, um, uh, 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 the wor- workers of the world unite. There it is, the workers of the world unite. And he goes on to say that that was a requirement, not because you believed it, but because you wanted to signal to the powerful, the the uh, 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 co- the um, uh, communists, that you understood that they were in charge. And it was also a signal to the people that you could come there because you were on the good side of those in charge. And his point was, it didn't actually say much. Workers of the world unite is the exact phrase. That's not exactly controversial. It sounds like, oh yeah, workers should get together or whatever. And his point was, that's that's part of the thing. Part of the, uh, uh, the dynamic was you don't say something that you couldn't sort of get away with not really caring about. Flash forward to, oh, and then he, his, his first famous uh, bo- uh, play was called The Garden Party. And in The Garden Party, a young man uh, in his early 20s, as I envisioned it, his parents send him off to get a job. And he's going to I- interview with these sort of uh, uh, ideologues at this, uh, his, his, it's meant to be the communists, although I don't think it says so. And he's going for a job for the people that control jobs. And when he gets there, it turns out that the people, the man he's supposed to interview with isn't there. He gets sent off to a party, a garden party, where that man is and where a lot of people are. And during the period of time at the garden party, he basically subsumes all of his own characteristics and takes on this sort of milk toast uh, and uh, double talk and kind of uh, the communist rhetoric. And the point is, in order to get ahead in that world, you had to play that game. And what I want to tell you, it's a long way around. I told you it's a long story. Is when I watch what's happening in our community in our nation, where people are not told what they must say, but it's clear if you want to succeed and be unbothered, you better get on board. So last summer, if you had said, you know, uh, all lives matter, you might get attacked as being insensitive to Black Lives Matter. And you had, you're supposed to put the placard up, Black Lives Matter, just like the uh, Workers of the World Unite. But we've come all the way through now to 2021 where you can't you can't believe anything 
that's not that's outside of what the the narrative machine tells you. You can't think that the election was imperfect in the fall. You can't think that the uh, Biden administration is off the mark. You can't think that Trump was a good leader. All these things. And and it's not so much that you're being censored as it is that the powers that be have made clear how you should be responding to what's going on in order to be okay. Not not in order to be, not in order to thrive, just in order to be okay. In order to be not targeted. In order to be left alone. And so if you want to be left alone, you're going to learn how to do what the powers that be say. And, 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 and cover the kinds of signals that the powers that be demand. And that's the epidemic of self-censorship now is extraordinary to see. And I have to say, it feels, I'm not sure it's true yet, it feels like it's getting worse. It feels like it's heading in a direction where it's absolutely getting worse and worse, where it's, again, it's not going to be that you, um, it's not going to be that someone tells you, don't be a pro-family, pro-life conservative. They're not going to tell you that. They're just going to make it clear that if you want to succeed, if you want to be okay, if you want to be left alone, if you want, in other words, have a life, yeah, just get on these positions. Put the placard up. Workers of the World Unite. Put the placard up so that everybody knows you get it, signal to everybody that you get it, and you'll be left alone. That's what it feels like. And more and more I'm seeing the telltale signs that that's what's happening. Now, it could be that some of the social media is so dramatically high, you know, uh, high energy and frenetic, but it sure feels like things are headed that way. And what you need to know is the only thing that stops this is us. And there's an article, uh, Barry Weiss uh, wrote in the New York Post about this, saying that uh, self, you have to stop self-censorship by standing up to it. But now's the time. Now's the time. And, you know, all the politically incorrect stuff that Donald Trump did, Merry Christmas, all these things you smile about, he got away with it, or did he? Because by the end of it, they took away his voice. They took away his, you know, kind of uh, way of, well, they took away his job. That's what's at stake. It's a big deal. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we will visit, very excited to visit, with James Reston Jr.'s new book, 19th Hijacker, a novel. Be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have another wonderful book from Republic Book Publishers. I've been uh, talking about them. This book in my hand right here, it's called The 19th Hijacker by James Reston Jr. And my readers will know, uh, sir, that I love reading and I love books. And this one was an advanced copy I was sent probably four months ago. And I've been chomping at the bit, waiting to talk to you. We're going to talk with uh, on the phone right now in the interview, uh, James Reston Jr., who has an accomplished uh, writer, journalist, journalist, someone who was um, involved in uh, politics and policy. And the book is called The 19th Hijacker. It's a fictional account of what happened before 9-11 and then afterwards, kind of threading through uh, one particular hijacker and then his, I guess, girlfriend at the time and then and the people who were investigating. So first of all, welcome to the program, James Reston Jr. How are you, sir? Fine. My pleasure to be with you. 
So first, when you look at when I read this book and uh, and the 19th hijacker, it's called. Um, I thought to myself when I finished, I thought, how did you think to write this? So you know, we're talking with James Reston Jr. and I know I think you were you're a New Yorker originally, but you know, I you've been you've covered a lot of subjects. You've been involved in in uh, the, the, you know you were writing about and, and wrote about Watergate, I think, and all these these all these kinds of things, and yet to spend all this time to get back into this kind of fictional um, mindset is quite a thing. Was it because 9-11 was so powerful to you? How'd you write this book? Well, to begin with, 9-11 absolutely changed American history. You know, our the last 20 years of American life have, have been very influenced by the attack on 9-11. So it's a hugely historic, uh, important historical event. Uh, literally, this book uh, took me 10 years on and off to uh, to accomplish, and it was kind of waiting for the right time to launch it onto the public. So, so something like 10 years ago or so, I was talking with the co-chair of the 9-11 Commission, Lee Hamilton, and he was saying that that Blue Ribbon uh, Commission never really got into the stories of the perpetrators, but there was one in particular that really interested them, and it was the pilot who brought the plane down in Shanksville, kind of the fourth, uh, the fourth mm-hmm. plane on 9-11, uh, and he was interesting for several reasons. One is that he was the only Lebanese, he was not Saudi Arabian, came from a very fine middle-class family in Beirut, really good-looking guy uh, who had kind of the world in his hands. Uh, His parents sent him to Hamburg, Hamburg, Germany, for his higher education, and that's where he got uh, caught up in the so-called Hamburg cell that was run by Mohammed Atta, the the ringleader for uh, for 9-11. But uh, that was one thing that was of interest, that he was Lebanese. The other thing, really much more important, was that he almost pulled out of the 9-11 operation just a month beforehand. Uh, and it was because of this romantic relationship that he had with a Turkish-German girl in uh, in Germany. So Lee Hamilton was telling me about this 10, 10 years ago, and I instantly saw that this was a really interesting story to get get involved with. It, it was about a hugely important uh, historical event. It was about an interesting terrorist character and one who was very much in conflict about the mission, it, mission itself. So all of those elements... Uh, were involved. Lee Hamilton said he would help me uh, if I uh, took this thing on as a nonfiction thing. And I quickly uh-huh. found out. That, I quickly found out that that all the um, uh, evidence in the files of the 9/11 Commission relating to the perpetrators was classified, and therefore mm. it would be impossible to write the book as a nonfiction thing. You couldn't. You could get no information uh, about it. And so I came to this juncture, whether I had to just give the thing up or decide that I could try it as a novel. And so that's that's how it came to be as, as a work of imagination. 
Well, and so, and, and one thing about it, again, we're talking about James Reston. That's the other thing I was going to ask you is you, you've written about a lot of different subjects. One of the ones I remember because when I was a kid, a young man, um, the uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial was a big deal. And I remember seeing the book you wrote about the, the, uh, the, the battle over that a few years ago over uh, the Vietnam Memorial and how it was done. So, I, you, you know, you've, you've written a lot of um, his, historical stuff, too. So is this um, when you take a leap? Uh, into um, this historical fiction, is it? But but did you keep your habit? Is it mostly um, historical? I mean, did you? Were you? Did you find? And for example, in the in the book, the, the main guy is um, Haddad, or Haddad, as I pronounce it, Haddad. That you mentioned, the Lebanese pilot. When he had doubts. Was that is that known? And then did he really leave tapes? You refer in this to uh, tapes that he left behind for his girlfriend. Were, are there really tapes like that? <laughs> Well, thank you for actually asking a critical question. No, there are no tapes. Okay. All of the tapes come completely out of my imagination, but they are based okay. on a ton of research. And it, it was it it became the the technique of telling this this story that if you had a terrorist who was in conflict about his terror mission, you know how could you um, how could you elucidate all of that? Uh, so it so it just occurred to me that that I um, based upon a tremendous amount of research, I could I could probably achieve a sense of authenticity about the story itself. So, so when people read this book, they're certainly going to ask your question about <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. what's true, what's true, and not true. And I hope that you had the experience when when you read the book that you you would say, well, it it could well have happened this way. Well, I, I actually thought to myself, I wondered if, because I knew you had had that contact with the commission and all, so I wondered if there was either something to it. Now, is the girlfriend real? I mean, is the is the Turkish-German girlfriend, is she a, a historical figure, and is she alive and around? Yes, she exists. She was a witness in... Um in several trials in Germany for the remaining members of that Hamburg cell, uh, the Al-Qaeda uh, Hamburg cell that, that survived 9-11. Uh, one or two of them were tried in Germany, and she was a um, she, she was a witness in that. I tried to find her years ago, and uh -huh. clearly the German, the German police put her into witness protection, and she is lost forever. I don't know where she is. I don't know whatever huh. happened. But uh, that gave me a kind of a, a license, a, a, you know, a creative license to create that character who was uh, in love with the, uh, the protagonist, the terrorist, but also... Uh, it, it, the question remained, did she know about his mission? Did she know where he was going? Was she um, complicit or was she? did she try to argue him out of it? And in many of these cases, I think, where, <clears throat> where some horrible thing happens, killing uh, like that, just to whether it's or against it. Um, uh, James, I'm losing you a little bit. I'm uh, cutting out a little bit. I don't know if you move from where you are. If you're like me, I, if I can, I walk on the phone. I don't know if you're moving, but I, we cut you cut out a little bit uh, there at the end. Okay, I'm sorry I'm to say. Can you hear me? This window. We, I can hear oh. you. Can you hear me? 
Uh, can yeah, I can hear you now? better now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I can hear you now. Yep. Um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that it's uh, one of those deals where the, the cell phone tower is, um, you know, about a uh, mile from me, and sometimes that that's anyway. I've opened the. Hope that helps. All right, it helps a little bit. Uh, yeah, you're cutting out a little bit. So let me ask a question and see if we, it settles down a little bit while I ask this question. Uh, I just got, got a minute or two left. Um, I was looking, we're talking with James Reston Jr. And again, his book is uh, The 19th Hijacker. It's a uh, historical novel about 9-11. Very, very interesting premise and fascinating. Like I was tw- uh, 30, uh, one in 9-11 and so or 30. And I guess, um, it, it, as you said, it's a pivot moment in American life. So uh, Republic Book Publishers published it. But here's my last question. Um, Mr. Reston, you were there for uh, you. Wrote, you've written historical books, you know the Galileo book. I looked up, uh, but you were there for David Frost's famous Watergate interviews uh, when he interviewed Nixon. Those are famous, made into movie. You've written uh, the Galileo. You've written plays on subjects. When you said earlier, nine eleven was a pivotal moment in history. Because I was laughing right now on CNN. If you go to CNN right now, they will say you know such and such is worse than Watergate. It's like every week something's worse than Watergate, um, which makes you realize you know I'm not sure what is worse than Watergate. But um, how big a pivot in history, in kind of American world history, was 9-11? A lot of young people don't really feel it the same way. And it's kind of already 21 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, how, how big a pivot was it? Well, it drove the public Christianity And that goes back to the Middle yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm 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 losing you again. I'm not sure what happened. I I, I got a. Uh, we'll have to have you back on again. We were at the end of the uh, program anyway. I'm sorry to say, but uh, we better. Okay. Uh, I, I'm I'm up against I'm up against the break. We'll have you back on. Congratulations on the book. I hope it's a great success, and I'd love to talk to you more. So thank you for being on with us. Okay, I'm available. You betcha. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Great. We'll take a quick. Yeah, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker, is with us. Dr. Decker is a New York Times bestselling author, as well as uh, uh, author of many books and many columns, essays, etc. He was a Wall Street Journal reporter in the Asian Bureau, uh, based in Hong Kong many years ago, and also the editorial page editor for the Washington Times. Worked in the Bush administration, Bush II, as well as um, now a professor uh, at Defiance College in Ohio. Dr. Decker, welcome back. And let me first ask you, seriously, no kidding aside... Why is it Burma on Fox News and Myanmar on CNN? What, what, what's the deal with the name? Do you, do you, can you fill us in on that? <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, they had this uh, very left-wing government takeover uh, at a certain point in Burma, and uh, uh-huh. they changed they changed the name to Myanmar, kind of this sort of socialist government, and partially. I see. They didn't. They didn't like the British colonial heritage of Burma, um, and now both sides and or all sides in, in Burma call it that. But um, I, e- even worse than Burma to Myanmar is the capital, which most people know as Rangoon, has a picturesque sound to it. Um, is Yangon? I mean, gosh, it sounds like it's in North Korea or something. So, <laughs> uh, you know, crazy, crazy place. I spent some time there. It's an interesting country, but um, you know, Myanmar has that right. A lot of times, the media 
wants to say something just because it sounds chic or they think it sounds sophisticated right. or they have knowledge or whatever, but I, I don't know. I I always use Burma in the Wall Street Journal. They 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 used it at the Wall Street Journal, Burma. Be, people know Burma vaguely is something in Asia that used to be part of maybe the British Empire, but right, right. Myanmar, Myanmar could well, be in Africa. Nobody knows. Yeah, well, it sound, reminds me of, remember a few years ago, they changed the name of Ayers Rock, which is this massive kind of reverse Grand Canyon uh, formation in the center of Australia, and they call it Iluru, which is like the Native American name, and nobody knows, I mean, all the uh, you know locals, I mean, now it's, it's gone through, all right, so what's happening here? We have a coup, a real coup, as opposed to a CNN-described uh, coup, you know, in the Capitol on January 6th, a guy with uh, with antlers went through and uh, and, you know, broke some windows. In Myanmar, it looks like the military government said, yeah, that election was uh, rigged. Uh, we'll just put a hold on things. What's the story with the China, the communist Chinese regime influence in uh, in Burma, Myanmar? Yeah, well, you know, it, Burma is in this interesting place because it has a port on the Indian Ocean, right? So, so yep. what makes it strategically important is China and India, right? They can't stand each other. They have these confrontations in the Himalayas and things like that, uh, where their their soldiers sort of stare each other down in the snow. And uh, so, what, why Burma is strategically important is if you have that port, if China um, can have access to that port on the Indian Ocean, it takes the Indian Ocean. Uh, it, it, it gives them access, so. Um, the Indian Ocean isn't really just a strategic purview of mostly India, right? So that's right. why uh, that's why Myanmar, Burma is important to the Chinese. Um, it's also just a really, really nasty place. So most of the world's jade comes from Burma, and a lot of the percent, high percentage of the jade that's sold is sold to China, and sometimes China sells it off to the rest of the world. And while there's a lot of talk of conflict diamonds out of Africa, don't buy diamonds from certain countries or mines in Africa because they use slave labor and things like that. The jade market is, if anything, even worse than the diamond market. And uh, a lot of times sort of laundered through China. And they not only do they use slave labor in these Burmese jade mines, a lot of times what they pay or how, what they do to get people work harder, they get them hooked on heroin. And then if they want their next fix, they have to work harder in these awful mines. So it's a absolutely terrible, hmm. terrible business. So, there. so, are, are, so, are the, are the, are the, is the communist uh, Chinese regime's influence in Burma, Myanmar, like it is in other parts of the world? They give them lots of money and they get them tied in, or what? I mean, right now we're talking, we're hearing that President Xi is going to meet with uh, the the uh, some of the leaders of Myanmar and they're they're saber rattling. What what what's the what's the level of of interaction or interest? Uh, it, it's very high level. So, like everywhere in Asia, China will build, go around and build bridges and build infrastructure, uh, build water plant facilities, things like that. Uh, it used to be, mm -hmm. you know, Japan did that for decades, trying to make people forget how awful they were in World War II. Every bridge was like the Japan Friendship Bridge. I mean, it was, you know, right. hilarious friendship, right? right? After we right. You know, cut all your ancestors' heads off. So now China's doing that, spreading the money around. Most places have kind of gotten tired of China because they know China starts to push their weight around pretty fast. The difference in Burma is 
if China develops this massive port on the Indian Ocean, um, you're talking about a large enough development that that could have a you know make a big change to the livelihoods of the people there. So um, I think I think you'll see. Uh, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty big development. To see how far it goes, you know. Uh, it, it, between that and the uh, uh, the communist Chinese flying massive uh, uh, like um, uh, squadrons of, of fighters and bombers over Taiwan, it feels like um, China's you know pretty clearly testing the uh, testing the Biden waters, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing is a lot of people, you know, China took Trump very seriously because he's the first person in decades that actually pushed back. And, and right, put sanctions on them and, and raised tariffs and was going to challenge them. China wasn't going to test very much in Taiwan because they knew Trump uh, was tough on China. Well, now they know they have a president whose son was taking all this dirty money from the Chinese. Right, right. Hunter Biden's a moron. He's an idiot. He has no skill set of any kind. He's getting millions of dollars from the Chinese. Why? Well, because his father is vice president. Now he's president. 10% set aside for the big guy. We know that's Joe Biden. Well, there's a reason for that, right? It's not just, hey, let's just give them some money, you know, so we get pictures taken with them sometime. It's, let's see how policy follows up. And I think now it's, uh, you know, now it's kind of, let's see what our money bought us. That's what the Chinese, that's what Beijing wants to know. And I'm sure they'll be, they'll be pleasantly surprised with what, uh, their money bought with the Bidens. They we're talking with uh, Brett, uh, Dr. Brett M. Decker, and uh, Dr. Decker, of course, a New York Times bestselling author. Okay, well, shift a uh, moment for the the economy. Seems to be storming up and storming down. It's up 350, 600 points, and down six hundred points. Uh, is it? Is it? What, what's going on with the economy right now? You have any? Do you have any feel for it? I mean, I think the stock market is jittery, and they're they're, they're trying to create. Um, some kind of way for people to make earnings when Wall Street has no idea what's going on with the economy either, right? I mean, uh, the, the President Biden or Joe Biden, whatever, um, signed all these executive orders, right? A flurry of executive orders. Nobody really knows what's in, what's in a lot of them yet, other than, you know, with one stroke of the pen or several strokes of the pen, he got rid of all of President Trump's executive orders. Well, that's going to have a big impact on the economy because you talk about a lot of regulatory and tax changes and really people haven't processed how that's all going to play out yet. So I think what they're trying to do is try to, uh, a lot of traders are trying to generate interest and, and get some earnings before everything hits the wall, which will probably be pretty soon. Uh, what, so um, and uh, and and more importantly, uh, the economy now in terms of the COVID recovery. Are we? I mean, we're, I, you know, I love this when this happens. We get a politician who says, "I'm going to get in office and I'll I'll take on the COVID thing." They get in office and they're like, "Yeah, uh, the COVID thing's just going to do what it's going to do." I mean, but in terms of the economy, is is are, are we through this yet or not? Really, I guess we're not, right? I mean, I think I think it's gonna. I think it has a long way before this hits bottom. I. I mean, it is peculiar how we keep hearing about second strains and uh, how, you know, yesterday or this week or this month has been the worst death rate ever. And yet all these liberal governors are opening up, even though it's supposedly more dangerous than ever. Like at some point, something's not true. Right. Um, Maybe none of it is, but we don't know yet. We you know what's true, what's not. It's impossible to know. 
Yeah, it is. Um, I just saw something on the on the um, more and more people are saying let the kids go back to school, and there's more and more, as you mentioned, uh, uh, instinct to it. But what's behind it right now is Biden is now saying he's got to have the COVID relief, you know, five hundred um, million dollars or uh, even more than that. I guess um, I, I think it's more, more would be more like a billion dollars for the teachers unions to buy their buy your way out of this. So, all right, Doctor Decker, as always, thank you for your insight, especially on the difference between Burma and Myanmar. Uh, appreciate it very much. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast launched by Phyllis Schlafly, who served as an articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Upholding that legacy and himself an author, national speaker, and attorney, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Joe Biden committed to creating the, quote, most diverse cabinet in history. This thrilled leftists on the campaign trail who love gender and racial quotas. Biden's team knew he could not win votes on the left by promising to surround himself with the smartest people or even the most qualified. The key was promising racial and gender diversity. And even though he did exactly what the leftists wanted by picking his cabinet, he was still rewarded with jabs like the Vogue article's headline, which read, Biden's cabinet may be the most diverse in history, but is that diverse enough? Vogue's headline should have told Biden that he will never be woke enough for the leftist mob, but he didn't take that hint. President Biden may be committed to racial diversity in his cabinet, but he will accept no diversity when it comes to walking in lockstep with a radical leftist view of America. A prime example of this is Biden's pick for Labor Secretary, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. Like Biden, Walsh is a union guy. He was making $175,000 a year running a union umbrella group before becoming Boston's mayor. During his time as mayor, he declared Boston a sanctuary city for illegal aliens. Even if the aliens were violent criminals, Walsh wanted to make Boston a welcoming place for them. He even facetiously offered to let illegals take up residence in his office if they wanted to. Another red flag from Marty Walsh's time as Boston's mayor comes from earlier last year when mobs called for statues to be removed throughout the city. Despite the desperate pleadings of Boston residents, Walsh consented to removing a century-old statue from the city at the behest of the mob. The alleged racist statue in question is of President Abraham Lincoln, the man who freed the slaves. The statue is actually a replica of the original, which was funded by former slaves who wanted to thank Lincoln for freeing them. This is the kind of leftist activism Americans can expect from President Joe Biden's cabinet for the next four years. The faces may be diverse, but the messaging will be nothing but leftist talking points on everything from unions to immigration and beyond. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Man, alive. I got to tell you, I was, uh, I'm, I'm, that interview with, um, uh, with, uh, James Reston Jr. I'll have to get him back on the program. That was really cool. Um, and he was cutting out at the end. I had some great questions. I was really, I was just warming up. I was ramping up to ask him some questions. So, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. Maybe I'll have him back on again and, and continue that conversation. Um, 
Okay, let me uh, finish here and tell you uh, something that you need to do, okay? There is now a website. It's called 74millionclub.com. 74, the number, 7474millionclub.com. It's an echo of after uh, Goldwater won... In 1960, excuse me, Goldwater lost in 1964. He had 26 million votes, and some of his followers formed the 26 Million Club. And then after Reagan uh, won in 80, there was a group that formed the 54 Million Club. This is the number of voters for these conservatives. Well, Donald Trump had 74-plus million people who voted for him. It's an extraordinary number. It still seems to me more than, <laughs> it seems to me it's more than Biden got. I don't understand how they run these numbers uh, in terms of whatever <laughs> happened. But there you have it. But the point here is if you go to 74millionclub.com right now, we have been giving out some special awards to those men and women who stood up on January 6th and were fearless for the Constitution and we the people. And the reason I want you to go to 74millionclub.com is not because you need to know that. You already know that. It's because I want you to do something. Take one of those certificates, you'll see there, these awards, and send it to somebody else in your world. What, what I'm doing here is making sure that we are encouraging the people who stand up for what happened and what goes on in the right way, get some credit. And right now, if you watch the news, there's like an effort, ongoing effort, to make anybody who's done the right things feel bad about it. And so what you need to do, today's window, is go to 74millionclub.com. You can sign up for the emails if you want, but mostly get some of those awards that have been given to the good guys and good gals. We just gave one a few minutes ago, earlier today, I guess it was. I'm trying to find the press release that was going out. I saw a draft of it. With Congressman Mo Brooks. Congressman Brooks, he was one of the ones who was so strong in fighting for we the people and he was out there with the 74millionclub.com. Uh, 74millionclub.com. Go see there. He was fighting for we the people. He was on our side. It was great. And he needs to be encouraged for it. He needs to be uh, encouraged for what he's doing and uh, and making sure that um, uh, you know that we are recognizing it. You, what the left does really well is tear down, and then when they need to, they buck up their people. When their people get attacked, they take care of them. When our people get attacked and when the media goes after them, we tend to stand around and be like, oh, man, that's too bad. This guy's getting attacked. And so we need to buck them up. So go to 74millionclub.com and sign in. And excuse me, and, and and get one of those certificates. Josh Hawley got an award last week. Uh, as I mentioned, Congressman Mo Brooks. And um, make sure we highlight the good guys and gals and pass it on to other people. If you know one of those people, if you're friendly with one, you know, email them, uh, send them a message, say thank you, uh, encourage them. Be on the side of the people who are are doing um, or are encouraging, not just complaining. Okay, there's a lot of things to complain about right now. Things that are going the wrong direction, things that are not looking up, things that are done poorly, you know, where they're going to fight amongst themselves. Liz Cheney does a terrible thing by condemning the president. And now, you know, there's a fight over that, et cetera, et cetera. What we need to do is when there's reason, be encouraging. When there's reason, be grateful and thankful and not forget to do that because it gets tiresome if you're one of these elected officials and you're just hearing from people when they're complaining or you're just hearing from people when you want something that's difficult to be done. This is a chance just to say thank you 
thank you and uh, I appreciate you and we appreciate you doing 74millionclub.com 74millionclub.com over the weekend I'm trying to think of the name I apologize but over the weekend one of our great Eagle leaders down in Tennessee uh, excuse me Cecilia uh, Desaunier I'm hitting the microphone stand sorry about that uh, Cecilia Desaunier uh, had an event with her congressman. She brought this certificate. She had a little frame. She thanked him in front of the crowd. We put out a press release. The point is, when there's an opportunity, be encouraging, especially because the narrative machine is lying so despicably about what happened. You know, they're they're making it seem to we the people like everything that we thought was wrong when nothing has been checked out. So uh, be encouraging. <clears throat> excuse me. Go to seventy four million club dot com and. Um, and uh, and encourage uh, the congressmen and women, uh, congressmen and congresswomen, and senators too. Senators too. I think Josh Hawley got an award last week. Uh, Ted Cruz will get one this week. The uh, seventy-four million club eagle award for service to we the people. Very appreciative. All right, I will make sure to put up on social media the information. I just got a text from one of our listeners on the James Reston book, and um, also I will uh, make sure to get uh, that information that Brett Decker uh, referred to. So we will. Um, Get all that. Thank you for tuning in, as always. And go visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. Get signed up for the daily email and get all the updates on what's happening and all the interviews we do over there. Thank you to our great technical director, Noah, for keeping us on track. Lots of moving parts. Thank you also to Joanna for booking our great guests. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.